Welcome to the Reggae Pod Clash, where man like Devin, that's me, and Roger Rivas talk all things reggae. On today's episode, we are joined by longtime keyboardist of the Scatolites, Mr. Ken Stewart. What do we have there? This is an official Reggae Pod Clash mug. What? You Nothing know about me. tastes as good as it does out of an official Reggae Pod Clash mug. Mug. I like that. You know me and mugs. I love mugs. I love small mugs, big mugs, medium-sized mugs. You little mug. I know. I'm a little mug. Speaking of mugs, <laughs> guess who's got a mug, too? Ooh. That is a nice mug, Roger. Thank you. Wait till it focuses in. Focus. 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 <laughs> now it's not doing it. Well, oh, there, there we go. it is. There yeah, it is. It looks all clean. Take a Old school art for you guys. Old school reggae mug. Roger has better equipment than me. And nowhere is that exemplified as well as the close-up of, uh, of that mug. Of oh, that mug? Here That's right. Let's check one more time for everyone up there. Close up. Wow. That Shoot is nice. That you can go to rootfire.net and get your own, your very own Reggae Pod Clash mug. Not yes. to mention shirts, hoodies, crop hoodies, mm-hmm. all kinds of shirts. Yeah, we're very stoked. And I think the uh, Reggae Pod Clash mugs that are on sale to the general populace mm-hmm. have the art on the other side. So, like, you can look at it while you're drinking. Right. We specifically requested outward facing art. Right. We're thinking ahead. Yeah. For the for the technology and for the the perspectives and everything so you guys can see it and it doesn't look all crooked and stuff. So exactly. go support it. Go support us, please. Please do. All the money goes back into the show. We're stoked to be doing it. Mm-hmm. Even if, you know. So yeah, go and get get some new gear. Um Speaking of mugs. Yeah, speaking of mugs, who speaking we got on the show of, today, right? Speaking of one of my favorite mugs ever. My man, uh, Mr. Ken Stewart, is on the show today, and he is just a really cool dude. I've known him for, for a long time, fellow keyboard player, and he is a long-time, key, the, the long-time keyboardist of the Scottalites. How yeah. crazy is that to say, I'm in the Scottalites? That's just crazy right there. I'd say yeah. all of us you know, who are in our, who are like our age, right? Who yeah. are under 40, but almost 40, um, who have seen the Scottalites have probably seen you know, our experience of the Scottalites is Ken playing with them. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I, I think every time I've seen him is with, man, with Ken. Right, back to the 90s. Yeah, definitely. So we're going to have him on in a bit because he's got so many cool stories uh, to tell, you know, and from his perspective, being in the band and knowing all the OG guys that were in mm-hmm. the Scottalites, I'm sure he's got just, just so much Just cool somebody who not only has so much reggae experience themselves, but whose right. brain we could just pick about about just knowing so many different amazing legendary musicians so it's going to yeah. be a good combo but For before sure. we bring ken on we're going to do what we do every week which is play you some of our records yeah this segment is called tune of the week and i think i'm going to go first today go first uh today i've got one of my favorite favorite records we always talk about you know oh this is a record that i don't necessarily you know put in my dj box to go play out well this is a record i never leave home without i always always play nice. it nice People comment like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I knew you were DJing because you threw that record on. Mm-hmm. This is one of my favorite groups, the Gladiators, with a Studio One tune called Watch Out. Right on the book 
Yes. Fire. Oh, man. I love that song so much. That is Watch Out by the Gladiators. It's hard to find that tune. Um, there's a, there's a, you know how like Studio One would reissue stuff with like syndromes on it? Yeah. Right? It'd be the same version, but like they'd add some stuff. There's a version like that with the syndromes and stuff on um, one of the Gladiators reissues that I think maybe Heartbeat put out, but, but it's not that, it's not that uh, right. same cut. It's the same cut, but you know it's got the syndromes and stuff. But that one, there is a dub version you can get on one of the Studio One. It might be Soul Jazz or Heartbeat, one of those um, like Studio One dub reissues. Yeah. You can find the version side. But anyway, I just think that that tune is like, it's. I mean, it's a scorcher, right? It's like super upbeat. Heck yeah! It's kind of a unique. I mean, it's a one drop. There's nothing like, like to me, it's a unique rhythm. Not because anyone in the band is playing anything super unique, but um, you just don't hear one drops that are that upbeat too often like that particular pocket that right. they're playing on that tune that's just like it's a dancey it's a super super danceable tune but but it's a one drop i don't know man it's just like one of those studio one things that's just magic you know yeah everyone is doing something cool you know everyone's talking to each other but they're you know i'm always listening to a song from that perspective right being a musician so you find, you know, the organs getting in where he can get in, the guitar players contributing where he can contribute. Right. And it, it definitely, especially any music coming from Jamaica, was not a computed thing. Like, no one's sitting back going, all right, we're going to compute this out and plan it out this right. perfect. Like, that's it's what all, we do now. We're like, let's make, right. it sound, let's make it sound like, you know, a, a 1971, you know, or a 1966. But, yeah, you're right. At the time, it was just like, let's fucking make it's, this just heavy. Exactly. Let's just play something good. Let's play. Everything's music. coming from yeah. the heart. Everything's just coming from you being a dope ass musician. That's all that is, um, and, and that's one of those songs for sure. And vocally, I mean, I love the Gladiators are just one of my favorite, um, just one of my favorite groups in Jamaican music uh, for so many reasons. I didn't, you know, next time we have Clinton Farron on the show, I'll play yeah. him that tune and ask if it's him on bass. It's, it probably is, right? It's such right. a dope bass line. But just Albert Griffiths, that's just, I mean. That's that's one I mean, for a singer who's got such a great a huge catalog of high quality tunes. That one yeah. is near the top of the list to me, and it's got that classic gladiator sound of Albert's, you know, on lead vocals, and then you hear Clinton with his like, you know, the ahs and oohs like no one else can do. He's just when you hear Clinton Farron do those ahs and oohs, right? He's because it's like takes over the mix in a really really great way, you know? Yeah, <laughs> texture, man. It's it's just a, a big painting. Yeah. I love I love it. So I'm gonna ask next time we talk to Clinton, I'm gonna ask him all about that tune because I really that song is just that's a top ten, top twenty, I don't know, yeah. tune for me. I heavy just love tune. that one. Heavy, heavy, heavy. For all right, sure. Raj, what do you got this week? Well, speaking of songs that you always have in your record box, this I mean I don't consider this one to be a super hitter, but I do love playing it because um the A side and B side are like comparable, you know, as far as uh they're just bo- both dope songs so i'm gonna play one side of this record this song is called your sweet love by ewan and the soul cats
tough tune. Man. I dig it because, you know, it's got one of those, you know, like we talked about chuggers before. It's like a baby chugger kind of thing. It's going on, you know, it's got this nice. Speaking of chuggers. Speaking of chuggers, it's chug. What do we have in these cups? No one knows. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows. Wet the whistle well, a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, this group, or this gentleman, you know, I looked him up and, and uh, Ewan McDermott, and there's not much. There's not much at all. Like one of those <laughs> artists we talked about that just kind of one hit wonders or whatnot. Um, released in 1969 on Giant, and the parent label was Randy's. And um, what I really like about this song is that I mean, you have to go back and listen to it to kind of, you know, get what I'm saying. But the vocal melody, again, listening from like a musician's perspective, the vocal melody, it's a melody. I feel like there's a lot of times, you know, it's real easy mm-hmm. to just sing as a vocalist or, or, or write a song and come up with a vocal melody. But you're not thinking about the melody. You're thinking about the words. You're thinking about being in, you know, the, the key and whatnot. But you're not really thinking about, all right, take away the words. Does this really fit does this um is this successful by itself just being a, a melody you play on the piano so i mean go back and listen to that the everything is a melody you can hum and actually the horns reiterate that later on you know bum 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 right. bum 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 like all that stuff i like that in songs when um when the 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 little break in the middle or the or the the you know the lead at the beginning is the vocal melody you know right it's not right for every song but i really like that as an effect in songs in general mm-hmm, and i feel mm-hmm. like a lot of times uh especially nowadays like so, whoops songwriters forget about that you know they forget that you can do that yeah i mean i think that a, a cool uh, a cool method a cool way to approach a song would be you know as a and i really haven't even done this a whole lot but just sit down and write it as an instrumental you know write mm-hmm. write a melody out and then apply the words later there's been some really cool songs that come out of someone doing that and then and then you know applying the poetry if you will the the words and, and the lyrics you know a lot of ra- really good duos work that way if you even think of like i don't know Elton John and and his writing partner Bernie I'm forgetting his last name. John. But I mean, that's just a small example. I know it's not Jamaican, but that kind of thing from that perspective, writing a song. Um, yeah, I encourage some songwriters out there to take that route and right. see what you, if that helps you out or not. I've never heard that song, by the way. It's, it's, it's rare to, oh. you know, not to, not to big up myself, but it's rare to stump me like that. And I, I definitely, like when you were playing that, <laughs> I was like, I never, I was listening, I was like, I've never, never heard this song. Well, I'm trying to stump you constantly, so. Consider me stumped. <laughs> Dude, we should the, have... The Giant label is, there's a lot of good stuff on that label. That's another yeah. one where every time I see a Giant 7-inch, I, I take a second look at it like, hmm. For it's sure. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good one. Yeah, most definitely. Um, you're right. There's not a lot on it. And the actual label, there's different labels for that yeah. label. If that no, makes yeah, sense. yeah, yes. Yeah, so. I, I've never actually seen the one that you have there, like the kind of like right. pale, pale one. But I've got some that's like white and then the Giant the the giant lettering is like mm-hmm. different colors exactly like red and maybe green i want to say or something it's right like christmasy almost exactly yeah that's yeah. the one people are more familiar with um i mean it's <laughs> it even looks like it even looks like something you would just overlook in the record bin right because you know but it's a real trip because some of these 45s i'll be in the record bin or whatnot even if it's funk or soul and just because the label looks that simple it attracts you because you go hey wait a minute there's been a lot of really cool records out there like that that don't have the commercial, you know, King or Studio One, and you know, okay, right? 
you know what like my and this is like totally judging a book by its cover but right my my process before like back in the day where you couldn't hear sound samples of everything you know because now you just fucking pull out your phone and look it up on youtube and see if it's a good song you know if you right. see a record somewhere but back then i i probably would have passed on this record and only because of the title of it I, oh. I i was always like okay let me if the song it has some like super dread name you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i'm probably like buying it right. you know but if i'm like uh your sweet love by the soul cats nah, i might pass <laughs> on it and that would have been a mistake because right. it's a dope tune there's plenty songs out there especially like in the funk soul circuit where the name alone you're like this has to be a dope record <laughs> and then it's just cheese ball you know <laughs> So, you know, like you said, with technology nowadays, you can just go and look it up. And I kind of don't like that. You know, it's like I know I, what you mean. I used to there used to be this on eBay. There was this Craig Moore who would uh, like once a week or once every two weeks would have these auctions of, se- of Jamaican seven inches. Mm-hmm. And you just you couldn't listen to them. And it was it was a little bit before everything was on YouTube, you know, because obviously it was it was eBay. So it was the Internet. But it's like you couldn't just look up everything. Right. And I would just take a chance on some of these records. And, you know, sometimes it would just be like, yes, this is amazing. And sometimes, right. Sometimes it was, it was like, okay, I see why he was selling that record. <laughs> yes, exactly. Totally. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's a hit or miss sometimes yeah, with record sure. collecting. You'll notice record collectors have their, their stack of like, I'll never play these records. Right. And what do I do with them? Take one. <laughs> I'm going to have something like that at the at Reva Studios where it's like a giveaway bin. You know, like Roger Steffens has. Didn't, doesn't Steffens have like some kind of take one thing? No, I just steal his records. Every time. Oh, oh yeah. that's a story you were telling me that he just actually gives you. <laughs> quite, hey, we're live. <laughs> ah, so that so that original press, uh, one cup of coffee by by Marlon the Whalers <laughs> wasn't a giveaway, right? Okay, uh, no, you're just taking. That, shit. I was like, yeah, this right. isn't the this isn't the giveaway bin. This drawer <laughs> in the back. oh the reggae cave isn't the giveaway bin. Sorry, <laughs> I, I, dang it. This isn't the reggae this the giveaway cave, right? Yeah, no, as you have a crate of like just dusty dope records. You're like, what? <laughs> What's going on here? Um, ladies and gentlemen, enough of us talking about records. Yeah, no one wants to hear that. <laughs> no one wants to hear that. Uh, this next gentleman we're about to bring on has been a friend of mine for years. I've been fortunate to know him. He's an amazing keyboard player. Take him out of this whole story of Jamaican music, and he's just an amazing keyboard player. But he definitely is a part of an amazing story. He is one of the, the well, definitely the only guy I know that has has had a relationship and bond with all the original members of the Scottalites. Maybe not Don Drummond, but everybody else from tommy mccook to roland alfonso to jackie matu to lloyd brevet lloyd nibs the list goes on and on without further ado let's bring in the keyboard master from the skylights mr ken stewart yes ken thank you roger thank you Devin. ken how you doing man? man thanks for being on the show yeah thank you for having me oh dude and we've been wanting to get you on for a while. Yeah, you know, this has been a while. It's been a little while in the works now. It's finally, yeah, finally for happening. Sure. You just you just got done with the show, right? Right uh, today. Yeah, I was playing with my local, the local band that I play with called Soul Shot, which is based out of Westerly, Rhode Island. And we, they've existed for about sixteen or more years, and I've been playing with them for about fifteen or so. Right nice. after they backed. Uh, Alton Ellis. I said, "Boy, I gotta come play with these guys." Nice. Wow, it's good. Yeah, yeah. it's a good reference. It's good credentials. How are how are shows going over there? Um, where you're at? Like, what's the what? Paint the picture for us. A, a live show. Well, this particular 
thing was basically just a friend of our lead singer. Uh, it's a basically a birthday party. It was in a barn. It wasn't a public show. It was just for nice. you know a private show. There was like maybe twenty people there, and most of them were outside the barn. But we set up inside the barn. It was pretty neat. Nice. Was there hay everywhere? Was there like uh, a, was there any yeah, rake? Yeah, it's it's it was actually an old taxidermist's shop. Oh, ah. Wow! So there was quite a few deer heads and a de- a fox stuffed fox, a stuffed pheasant. Wow! Yeah, it was pretty pretty interesting. And that's it, a word I haven't heard in a while. Pheasant in a town called Marshfield, <laughs> which is you know next to Plymouth here, which was. Right, allegedly the first town here, and um, Marshfield is some place that uh, my family had a cottage that they built back in the late forties, and I sort of grew up in, at least in the su- part of the summers. Nice, very cool, dude. Um, well, let's just start from the top, man. Let's start from the beginning, you know, because th- th- there's a lot of questions here. As long as I've known you, I think last time you and me were hanging out, we were driving in a car, and I took you to Phil Chin's house to deliver some fish that you had brought, or lobster, me too, from me too. Maine. <laughs> so I have some cool, some cool things I definitely forgot to ask you on those rides. But for everyone out there, Mr. Kent Stewart's been playing with the Skylights forever. But let's take us back, Ken. What, how did you get into Jamaican music? What was the first band, or, or how did that work out? Well, it was the secretary at my wife's office, now my ex-wife, but my um, the mother of my children, this was back in 86, she says to me, oh, somebody wants me to go to an audition in Roxbury, uh, which is like a, kind of a ghettoish part of, um, of Boston. So she was a black lady, and I kind of chuckled. I said, so you want me, the scrawny little white guy, to accompany you to this audition because you, you don't feel safe, <laughs> basically, was what she, she wanted somebody to come with her. You're the muscle. That's it, boss. Nice. So, but they also happened to be, she threw this in, and this was the ringer, was uh, they're, they're looking for a keyboard player, too. But I didn't know anything about reggae, but I said, all right, I had actually just started experimenting with stuff that I was hearing, and I think Sting... Uh, released this album called Dream of the Blue Turtles. Might have been his first solo album. And I started, you know, there was definitely some bubbling, but they were like using a vibraphone sound. And it was a little weird, but, you know, I started to understand what was involved in bubbling and popping, as they explained to me that that was what I was supposed to do and skanking and so on. So I met. Coswell Jackson was actually the first Jamaican guy uh, that I played music with. And he ended up, when we found out, they called him Jocko. So I never knew what his name was, really. You know, a couple months went by, probably. So, like, what are we going to call this band? And people said this, and people said that. And I I was like, Jocko, what's your name? And he was like, Coswell Jackson, man. So I was like... That's the band name right there. There right? you go. <laughs> Simple. We have it. Yeah, man. Forget so, all the other stuff. He was writing some of the songs, and he was the lead singer, so it made sense. He's right. the man. Let's call it. That's a great name. So there it was, the Coswell Jackson Band. And that was the first moment that you were in a reggae band, correct? Yeah, ni- February 1986. Wow. So then 
I went to the first big show that I went to was Burning Spear. Nice. At Lupo's Heartbreak Hotel in Providence, Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. And it was the one of the first shows where he had the, the ladies on horns. Yeah. Yeah. And they had just graduated Berkeley. Like, they were fresh out of Berkeley. The whole scene was... And I just wanted the combination of this slightly... At that point, he was only slightly graying Winston Rodney. And it was like the Bradshaw brothers and... Um, Nelson Miller, maybe, on drums? Nelson Miller, Tony... What's his name? It's my buddy. T-Bird. T-Bird Johnson. T-Bird. He was playing keys and just, you know, the whole thing was just amazing and so, so hypnotic and just, you know, Spears voice, like a trumpet. Yeah. Like just intense, you know? Wow. And, so that's kind of, I was like, man, this is really something to this music, you know, because I grew up with pretty, pretty eclectic music in my home. My dad is a traditional jazz tuba player. Wow. Uh, also plays a little bit of trumpet, but he played with guys like Bobby Hackett. Um, he played with some famous dudes, you know. And right. So there was always music in the house, mostly trad jazz. I started playing like Joplin and Ragtime, this kind of stuff when I was pretty young. My hands were even so small, I had to like change the voicings on some of the stuff, and still are really. <laughs> but. Um, I've actually been playing my Jelly Roll Martin and my Scott Joplin tunes quite a bit lately. I'm trying to nice get the chops back up. Yeah, yeah. So, so you're you get into reggae music. You go to these shows. You see Burning Spear, and obviously it's infectious and it's hitting you. But, All right. So from the Coswell Jackson band, this is how it leads into the Scatterlights. We went to Wilson Blue and the Blue Roots, who opened pretty much every show in Rhode Island from 1982 to 1998 when Paul Blue passed away. But he was a really good singer. He was, he could play pretty much every instrument, at least well enough to explain how you can play your instrument, playing right. the music. So he was, you know, the other guys, it was mostly American guys in the other band. And so anyway, I started playing with this, this new arrangement. And they were literally like every every show, like, here we are, open for third world, you know, and I get to meet, you know, Cat Core drives up, driving a Winnebago, which gave me the idea for this. This was the first Scatolites. Nice. Tour, which we used. Wow. 30 fun. 31 foot Winnebago. Wow. I was like, that's a great idea, man. You, because you saw like a five grand a, a week for a tour bus back then. Plus, wow. you got to pay the driver and all this other stuff. And, you know, you just drive this thing yourself. It's like maybe a thousand bucks a week, you know? Because it drove, like, drove like a sled. Because, hmm. you, you know, that's got a station wagon chassis. Right, of course, of course. And it drives like even driving into the gas station with like the dip. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, the moment. Take us to the moment that you. So, how did that. Yeah. All of a sudden, now, the manager of Wilson Blue and the Blue Roots, after I'm playing in that band for about a year, they look at me and they say, Oh, our drummer can't make us to this, make it to this show. And 
we're going to use Lloyd Nib from the Scatolites this particular night on drums. I was like, wow. Because wow. I had seen the Scatolites recently, and I did before that, I didn't really know what real ska was. Right. So I just, you know, in, in about May of 87, I saw the band for the first time. And now all of a sudden, here we are. And now the story changes to Lloyd Nib is moving to our house and he's going to be our drummer. Wow. And I'm like, no way. Like, no, this isn't real. Jeez, give like, him the like, top not, not my house. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're so, I was just, all of a sudden, he was there, like, next to me on the drum stool. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we had, we hit it off very quickly. First day, basically. And he was, you know, the new kid in town. He could come up from um, from King Bravo's house, which that's another whole book, maybe, King Bravo. But King Bravo was a guy who had a house in Jersey where a lot of people stayed. Um, coming up, Tommy McCook, Lloyd Brevett, Lloyd Nib, Winston Grennan. Uh, I think Toots even spent a, a few nights there. Um, Bravo was also friends with people like Bobby Aitken. Um, just a lot. Uh, some of the, the younger upcoming Scatolites ended up staying there. Will Clark, uh, Bill Smith, I think, might have stayed there for a while. Kerry Brown or one of them. Nice. Um, I'm not sure. But um, so as time went on, you know, uh, it became evident that the Lloyd had come there because nothing was really going on with the Scatolites. So, finally, I think it was close to six months, you know, we're talking spring of, well, I don't know exactly the chronological <laughs> right, right. order of things, but Lloyd was supposed to, there was an offer for a gig at SOBs for Scatolites. Yeah. And these people didn't want him to go. They're like, well, we can't get a sub for you. We're working that night. It's like, and I look at them like, so you're going to stop the Scatolites. <laughs> right. Because you got to sub up this candy ass gig you got down the street. Right. Like, really? Because SOB <laughs> was the club of the clubs to play at. And, right. Uh, one of the major ones. And it was the small, you know, it's about 400 cap. And, but it was just the place to be, man. So anyway, I was just, at some point I left, you know, because I guess, oh yeah, that was, what, I asked Lloyd if he wanted to come up to a show in Boston. I was Third World was playing up at the channel. And, you know, I could go get, get him in on the guest list and all that. So we went, I asked him to come with me and the people that he was living with said, well, if you're going to go out with him, you can pack your bags and, and, and go. Both of you guys are kicked out of the house. He's like, what? So it became clear that this just wasn't a good situation for him to be in. They cut his pay. Right. They, Did they not? Let me ask you this. Did they not realize that this is like legendary oh, drummer? Of yeah, of course. It was just that that wasn't as important. They, they had this situation. It was just a, a really bad. And I don't want to spend too much time. Right, of course. So you and you in a really negative situation. So we right, got right. up to Boston, basically. Mm -hmm. The bottom mm -hmm. line, we got him the hell out of it. 
-hmm. And we started, and this was another funny thing, because I didn't really know the history of the music that, back then. And I said to Lloyd, I said, what's the name of a band that you used to use that, you know, we could use for Lloyd Nib and the blah da, da So <laughs> Lloyd said, Supersonics. So I said, all right, Lloyd Nib and the Supersonics. Like, really? Let's go. Right. So, having no clue that this was actually Tommy's band, and even especially that Tommy also had plans to revive the Supersonics. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's crazy. You know, because that, that's another whole chapter. But so anyway, it becomes evident also that, you know, Jackie's in Toronto. Tommy and him don't get along. Wow. There's basically an opening for a keyboard player. And when I saw the band, it was Sidney Mills playing with him from Steel Pulse. And it was funny because I was hearing some weirdness in the music. And I figured, well, can't be the old guy. The old guy knows the stuff, right? And then, you know, it's got to be the new guy. Like that young keyboard player has got to be, you know, making those mistakes. Right. Because you could hear the skanks weren't meshing or something. was. And then if you listen to the records up to now, John Jerry was not always right there with those progressions. Right. A lot of them, you know, there, there was one take. They kept it. You know, if it wasn't too major... They didn't cut it again. You know, it was like, oh, yeah, it's just one bar. Yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> and Coxon even said he kept, he did that stuff on purpose to just to make it interesting. Wow. In that case, I'm really interesting when I record. <laughs> yeah. That's my uh, well, mind. about myself like, as a rhythm guitar Come on, player, man. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm, I'm all over the place, but it's interesting, I'm right? I'm super interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Coxon would have loved me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway. Around February of 88, I get to audition, I go down, and we go to King Bravo's house for the audition, and it was, yeah. you know, I meet all the, I had already met them, sort of, because I met them backstage briefly when they played at Night Stage in Cambridge, when I saw them. Yeah. So, because they actually, they had the same road manager with them that Toots, because I had already befriended Toots before all this. So they, they had the same road manager. So I was in like Flynn. You know, I saw this guy. He was the driver slash road manager. And I saw the vehicle that Toots was always traveling in. I said, oh, it's Septi. The guy, he actually ended up being, that guy, Septi, he ended up being a Scar record producer, I heard. But I haven't hmm. seen him in eons. Anyway, he was a Jamaican dude named Septi. I don't know what his real name was. Right, right, right. I'm sure there's people on the air that know who he was. Ah. Big up, Septi. What happened to you, man? <laughs> Wait, is that Septi in the chat room? <laughs> Septi. I'm sorry I can't see the chat. <laughs> no, he's, I don't think Septi's in the chat. Yeah, I don't think he's in the chat. So, uh, yeah, exactly. That's all I'm saying. So, so Ken, <laughs> we got so much to cover. So give me the, 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 the meat of when you, when you busted in with, with the, the Scottlights and, and how that was. Well, so I went to the audition, you know, and it was kind of funny because the bass player, number one, I mean, it, it took them like 20 minutes before we could get sound out of it. Right. Apparently, Coxon had given him some makeshift transducer type thing that was had a short in it, needed to be soldered or whatever. It was just causing all kind of problems. So we finally get into the music, and not only does the instrument 
uh, have something that we desire, but the man just didn't really remember much of the tunes, and he wasn't reading the charts so well, and here's me, like, trying to hold it together and look good, and so basically, it was decided that, yes, I could be in the band, but there was producers of a show, the, the immediate uh, thing on the table was this show that was actually with Mystic Revelation of Rastafari. Mm -hmm. Count Ossie? Yeah, but Count Ossie was already dead still, but oh, was, okay. the band was operating. Uh, I guess uh, Sam Clayton, maybe, was still running it at that time. Anyway, um, that show I did not get to play on, but I got to go to the rehearsals. Nice. And watch this other guy, this Jamaican dude, Right. Basically, I think the, that particular nature of the show, they didn't particularly want to throw in the Caucasian on the Scatolites at that particular moment. Right, right. But my first show, and I just saw him just the other day, the picture, the night, the picture that you used uh, with me, that's actually me saying 109876 Freedom, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That was from that night. I saw Owen Gray. We opened, we Scatolites backed Owen Gray nice. at, at the West Indian Club in Trenton, New Jersey in late April 1988. That was my first job. Wow. Crazy. And that again was a little weird because we weren't doing Owen Gray like Scott tunes. He wanted us to do, as a matter of fact, he gave us the afternoon we arrived there play the show gave us a tape of all this lovers rock that was like overproduced right. synthesizers like layered i'm like number one which bass player is going to play this this man doesn't play electric bass right right like yeah. oh so on so we put together a set we scatolites did you know a fair amount of instrumentals we put together a set for owen gray i think he literally came on at something like three in the morning Jeez, we had you know there was curry goat there was well that's why it's curry goat yeah it's a late it show literally a, a large jamaican neighborhood in trenton new jersey that was the, the west indian place was uh, um was an old masonic hall was i kind of chuckled about that but anyway right, right. That was my, my first and then we did you know we did a few shows we had the same manager as like Toots, Third World, and all these bands, but we weren't getting much work. Mm -hmm. We did one thing where it was us, Sister Carol, who was also managed by this person, right? And uh, Toots, so it was Toots, Sister Carol, and us. Could we you tell it. us the lineup at this time? The lineup of of the, the band at, at this yeah, time? Yeah, well, Rollins, Roland, and Rollins was one of the first people to move to U.S. in the seventies. So Roland was here, Lester was here, and it kind of depended on the gig whether those two were even invited, because depending on the budget, and Tommy was trying to, you know, run the band a certain way. So Tommy was the leader, Tommy McCook on tenor sax. We used, most of the time at that time, we used Ron Wilson on trombone, who was from the military band and... He's on a, quite a few records. And trumpet was 
kind of rotating with this circle of they were all students of the same guy who was the guy that ended up coming with us when we did the first real headline tour mm-hmm. in 1990 frank gordon nice was the teacher of these other students one of which was ej allen there was james dollar patrick rickman then uh, there was a guy there was a west coast guy too called robbie kwok wow asian kwok. yeah he was at san francisco dude Did- and the drum and bass at this time? They, oh, Nibs and Brevet, man. Nice. So we got Nibs, Brevet, Tommy. Uh, yeah, Devin, Saxo- Devin okay. on guitar. Devin, Devin on guitar. Oh, who I yeah. named my son after, How by the way. My son's name is Devin, too. Nice. Dang. Roger um, Steffen's De- son is named Devin as well. So uh, At a- that time, I had never heard that name before in my life. By the De- time my son got to preschool, when he was like two or three, there was like a girl and a boy with that name. Yes. What year was your son born? Eighty nine. So I wow. I was born in eighty three, and I was I was the only Devin for many many years. As I got older, there started being more Devins. But spelled um, with an I, spelled with an A. Yeah. You guys with, were ahead of the curve, man. Yeah, you, I'm with an I. Yeah. You guys were the way it should be. Ahead of the game, the way it should be the right way. He's like, oh, I'm the right way. I'm spelled <laughs> the right way with the I. Devin nope. James was a solid guitarist. Devin James was there for like 23 years holding it up. Wow. Because I didn't stay in the beginning. You know, I, I was there for like two years. And I just, I put together, well, we did the Bunny Whale tour, which you know about that. Tell which, us about that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was Jackie came in on that, which Jackie was already diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease by that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was... So Dizzy Johnny was already playing with Bunny Whaler. That was the first time that Dizzy Johnny played in the Scatterlight for a while because there was a big falling out when they tried to do the reunion, which was actually why they tried to do the reunion in 83. And, they, you know, it didn't, it didn't take. They made the, the Big Guns album. They, before that, they made the, the Rolling Steady album, and that's the one with da- Jackie and Dizzy on it. Wow. By the time they made the Big Guns album, which was not very much longer, they had already had a falling out. Dizzy and Jackie were not on the Big Guns album. And the falling out at that point, when you say falling out, you mean like, because Tommy being the leader, it's like a... a, Getting along, you know, it was... Right. With with the kind of egos we're talking about, it was a tough situation from from day one. Right, yeah. and and you know what? That's fair to say, right? Because you think of the Scottalites, and you think of okay, they're the Scottalites. But obviously, how it progressed after that was pretty much they were an all-star band before all-star bands. You know, every single member went on to form their suit, their their dope band. Whether it's Tommy Cook and the Supersonics, Roland Alfonso, Soul Vendors, Jackie Matu was a name. So I could see that when you say egos. I mean, you know, we're all human, but I, I'm sure it was interesting. Yeah. So anyway, the the lineup was oh uh, let's see. So so Dizzy Johnny was playing trumpet for this particular part tour, but it was a very unique situation, especially a little bit hairy in the beginning because those two had to kiss and make up before it could go on and it have to happen right there and then. Mm-hmm. You know, when we arrived in California, those guys had to 
suck it up and and behave themselves and play together and they right. did. It was cool. So anyway, there was just so much history, you know, and I was just getting to know all of it because it was my first real tour. I mean, there was four tour buses. There was two for Bunny's band, which was 18 people on stage. Whoa. They gave us That's a crazy. tour bus. So there was whatever, nine or ten, they put the one of the the artist liaison and then they had a whole bus for staff because it was Neville Garrick on on lights we had all of Bob Marley's people then right Dennis Thompson was the uh, front of house engineer a guy named Soji was the monitor guy so you know there was you should have seen the percussion section we had Harry T Sticky Nice. Um, Carl Ayton was on drums. I believe he died shortly after that. He was the drummer for a band called Blood Fire Posse. And anyway, at one point, there was all of that going on percussively. They were doing big sound checks every day, you know. And then Lloyd Neib got up there along with all that percussion already happening and started playing a set of timbales. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, man. Who was playing bass with Bunny Whaler on that tour? <sighs> what year was this? You, you probably said. but 89. Okay. Liberation Tour. Boy, I don't remember, you know. I might not know who, who he was then, but... Hmm. Yeah, I'll, let me think about it as it goes by. Yeah. But they won the Grammy for the album. And Was that um, liber, Liberation? Or what, what yeah. was it? Protest or something like that? No, right? Liberation. Liberation? No. Uh, the tour was a little bit of a financial failure because originally there was supposed to be a lot more shows. It trickled down to eight shows. There was four tour buses. Like, do the math. You know, it's just... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's four more than I ever had in any band. That was <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> but it was, you know, it was an education and a half for me. And I... Between the people I met was Bobby Ellis on, on Bunny's band. It was Bobby Ellis was with the horn section with Dizzy Johnny. Wow. Um, the Bailey brothers, which was Barrington Bailey and I believe Everton Bailey on set. Mm. I think that's how it went. So Dizzy would play with Bunny, but was Dizzy playing with the Scottalites? Yes, that's the thing, you know. A little tension there or, or whatnot. But it was, no, it, it was fine after the, you know, they just had to break the ice, basically. Right, right. And, Diz, and Dizzy had his own tour bus, too, so, you know, he didn't have to really <laughs> hang out with anybody. Right. Well, well he, he did. He ended up coming with us and hanging out. And I, I have so much footage of that. I have about eight Dude. Hours, I have about eight hours of video from talking on the tour bus, Revit playing coffee cups, the drum. Ken, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fly, I'm gonna fly to Rhode Island. We're gonna go, we're gonna go on your boat, and we're gonna edit video. I can't, I want to see that. Yeah, man. that's, that's crucial. insane. Wow, I'm, to have yeah. footage of that tour. So, do, do you have yeah. like Actually, do, some do of have... it on YouTube already? Because oh, I nice. gave it to a guy for um, a school project. If you look for something called Skava Nagila. Nice. That's Great. where you saw. That's where you saw that clip you asked me about, Roger. Oh and yeah. Jackie Matus. Well, oh wait a minute, Ken. 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 We're gonna elaborate on that more. But you know what? 
uh, I actually uploaded that clip here. And so we're going to play the clip that you're talking about and we could elaborate on it more. Devin, do you mind playing that clip? Yeah, let's play that. Check this out. Check this right. out, everyone. Okay. Scope this, this clip out. This is what out. Ken is talking about. Here we go. So this is 1989. All right, here it is. Play the clip. Can you Can't hurt the 9 millimeter? Is it real or is it Maxell or Hemorex? No, that's Maxell. It's Maxell. Because I'm using Sony in the camera right now. This is the next tape I'm using from the Maybe it's a commercial company. Wanted to do something. I'd have to go like this. It's Maxell. Or. It's Maxell. Or maybe. What's happening, home? That's it. We need some Maxell. Hmm. Or. Maxell's the best! Maxell's the best! Maxell's the best! <laughs> or... Oh, you don't like Maxell? <laughs> <laughs> or... This is getting silly, Jack. <laughs> Maxell! <laughs> what a ham. Really? Good night. Uh, you know, I bet you didn't buy the last one because it's too stupid. <laughs> Oh man, dude. <laughs> wow, that is good. Isn't well, that so cool? You know, like Maxell. Yeah, he was uh, quite the character. I mean, that alone, man, because, you know, obviously, uh, as a keyboard player, you know, he's, he's a huge hero. And so when you try to look at for footage of Jackie, there's really none out there. And, yeah. and it gives you a perspective. When you say in there, he's a ham, I'm, that's exactly what I would, would describe him as after seeing that, you know? Oh, he was big fan. The best part of that, and I know uh, we all we all saw that, is when he genuinely made Roland like just laugh. Like you could tell that Roland's just you know it's super genuine. What what was the story with that? Was that like after a show or something? That was actually right before they went and they flew, and I actually posted a song. They went to Japan, and they became a different Scatolites. Roland Lester. And Jackie left us the night or the morning after you saw that. Wow. And because the, the Bunny Whaler tour, first of all, there were some problems at that point. We were supposed to play in Minneapolis. We didn't play. Then we drove to St. Louis, and that's where we were when that's, that's taken. And we were supposed to have played that night, and we didn't because they changed the club. Well, they changed it to a club instead of a theater. There was supposed to be no alcohol, all kind of stuff was in the contract, so we didn't play. So at that point, those guys went and joined a whole other rhythm and horn section that they filled. There was Winston Grennan, Brian Atkinson, Lynn Tate on guitar. Wow, man. Um, that's another story. I played with all those guys in other bands. So, and then it was David Madden, Bubbles, Cameron on trombone. So they mishmashed all that into a different Scatolite. Meanwhile, we stayed, went to play in Boston and, and played it at Radio City Musical, actually, with no, none of those people. Like, we went from our, like a 10-piece band to a, like a six-piece band or something. It was kind of... Mm -hmm. I believe I believe the review said underwhelming. 
<laughs> wow. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Um, I have a question. Like, uh, I'm, I'm just thinking about the Scatolites and Bunny Whaler being on tour together. And do you do you have some? I mean, because okay, you got Bunny Whaler, who, you know, obviously the Scatolites and you know people like Roland and Jackie all know Bunny from. I mean, they were already deep in the music business before Bunny came along, and they were there right from his first recordings and things like that. So, I mean. Did, were you witness to some? I, I just want, like, I would love to be a fly on the wall, and you're like the the fly on the wall, if you don't mind the reference. No, listen to this story. This is so funny, too. As a matter of fact, so we're playing in Santa Barbara. We had to play at the county county bowl, and the curfew was like ten o'clock. So Scatterlight's got like a twenty minute set, and then Bunny did his normal two and a half hour. So there was a bunch of kids, and they had like valley accents and the whole bit i was cracking up it's my first trip to california mm-hmm. as well as my first tour so i see all these kids with like pork pie hats and the black and white suit and all these ska fans you know i didn't really even know what the hell it was all about but roland had records from studio one with him he had you know a stack of them that's what he did for a living when he wasn't playing in the band he sold records at a at a patty shop in in Brooklyn. Wow. So he literally carried suitcases full of records, old studio. So there he is, standing that by the side of the stage. My like, hey, get your and plus they not only can they buy the record, but they can get it signed by A Roland Alfonso. And now we got a crowd going. So all these kids were saying, Well, we paid twenty two dollars to see the satellite for twenty minutes and blah blah blah. Scatterlight should or Bunny Whaler should have opened for the Scatterlights and so on and so forth, you know. And I was cracking up, you know. And there was like literally like a ten-year-old, twelve-year-old kid with a pork pie hat on, and I, I just said to myself, "It's like, man, this is going to last a long time," you know. And I just started to understand the whole history of the music. Anyway, I was still pretty green. I had only played band playing reggae for barely two years when I got in the Scatolites. So it was all, you know, I didn't know what the hell Jamaican ska was. I, I loved the English beat when they were popular. I actually saw their first show in Boston. And that made me, but I didn't know, they didn't call it ska. They didn't call it two-tone back. You know, that just was music. It was pop. Mm-hmm. It was pop. So, and I liked crossover. I didn't care. I wasn't like a purist or anything. I was like, like in a lot of stuff that was going on, Sly and Robbie put out this album called Language Barrier with like Herbie on keyboard, Miles on trumpet. Because there was a lot of stuff going on at Compass Point back then. Wow. When Grace Jones, Sly and Robbie was with Grace Jones. And there was a lot of stuff. They tried to get satellites into that studio at that time and put him on salary, Chris Blackwell offered him salary and all kinds of, they, tur- they turned it down. It was like, I don't know what was going on back then, but bad, bad move. So did you, I mean, but what was, did you witness any like interactions between Bunny and, and the guys? Because that's what I would really like love to, love to hear about or see, you know, it's like Bunny Whaler and the Scatolites on tour somewhere in middle America talking about, you know. There wasn't, a lot of interaction. No. Mostly, if there was any, it was between Tommy himself and Bunny. And it was probably business or money related. 
Wow. Other than that, there wasn't, I mean, there's a lot of interaction with the other musicians, with like Bobby Ellis and all of these people that were on, you know, they, they put a dancer on the tour that we didn't even really know or ask for. And the dancer was a little bit soft. Like, it was kind of embarrassing when we were in LA. Oh, when we were in LA on the tour, they added three acts. So it was at Irvine Meadows, we played with Judy Mullet, Andrew Tosh, backed by Soul Syndicate, and Ross Michael and the Sons of Negus, wow. which was at that time smoking. And I right. never heard anything like that. Right. I was probably there with my jaw on the floor the whole set. I was like, what was that? So were we, if there was four acts on that show, what would the Skydolites have been? Were you guys first, second, third? I think we were third. Direct support. Uh, we might. I mean, those are all heavy hitters, right? So. Yeah, I don't remember quite so well, actually. Wow, that's yeah, a trip. I think, I think Ross Michael was first, and then Andrew. And I don't remember if we went before Judy or not. Probably not. I think she would probably would have gone and then Bunny. That's how I would do it even now, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> well, Judy was pretty big back then. Right. Judy was backed actually by uh, Roland's son, Noel. Noel Alfonso. Wow. I got to check him out. Pretty, pretty Is he a really good drummer? Well, it's very funny. Another very funny story. So the first record I got access to, Scatolite's record, was actually the only record that Lloyd had with him when I met him, when he was in the area. So it was um, a vinyl of the live show, Live at Sunsplash 1983. Wow. Which was put out by Synergy. And Lloyd never told me that it wasn't him playing on it. And I listened to that record for years and years thinking it was Lloyd Nibb on drums. But if you watch the footage, there's a couple of songs, footage from that that are on like the Cool Runnings. There's a Cool Runnings video. It's a bunch of uh, live Sunsplash clips. Like yeah. Sugar Minot and all kinds of people on one clip. Anyway, that was it. You know, that was, they will never show the face of the drummer on those clips because it wasn't Lloyd. It was Noel. But as far as hear, you know, what you hear, that, the guy was good, man. Wow. It was could do a good Lloyd Nib. Wow. Of course, he grew up. Of course. <laughs> he doesn't have to listen to the records. He listened to the real thing, you know, right there in front of him. Uh, how long was that bunny tour? How, how long did, did that last? About two weeks. Okay. It's so really up, compact. We went all the way across the country in four tour buses and never played a show in between the coasts. That's a trip. We rode 3,000 miles. Jeez. One, one bus rode, rode, ran out of gas twice in one day. We spent about 24 hours in the state of Arizona. We were like the rescue bus because our <laughs> driver was like one of the more on-the-ball drivers. Right. We I were mean, like the rescue bus. Like We were the ones that had to go help the idiot that ran out of gas. And when you run out of gas in a diesel, it's not so pretty. I would just, man, like Devin talks about being a fly on the wall. And Devin, everyone here, we've all, we're touring musicians. So we know how it is. Um, 
I can just imagine that whole caravan stopping at a flying J somewhere. Oh, and, and, he's he's Sterling in a bus in a bus in a, at the truck stop. There was no cell phone, dude. He drove. He was in Ohio. We drove halfway through the state of Pennsylvania. Someone said, "Hey, where's Keith?" <laughs> yes. And they literally had to send a bus back to get him. And that must have been, you know, that was like a four hour. We had been driving at least oh, geez. hours. No cell phones at that time. No, no yeah. way to contact anybody. Like, that was crazy. Just Keith Sterling, that was, you know, that was Keith Sterling on keyboards. Um, a dude they called Asher. Oh, know, John, yeah. Um, and another dude they called Red Fox. Red and, Fox was like a dance hall artist. Uh, maybe, but no, I think he was a keyboard player. And who else was that? That was Burgundy Fox. A couple, oh, yeah. a couple Gitsies. But that band was huge, you know, but, and they had dancers. Wow, dancers. That's a trip. What they called the Switch Dance Troupe. But I guess only one guy, that was what happened. One, Either one or two of those dancers didn't get their visa. Something went wrong with the visa. Mm-hmm. Right. So they used the budget to give us this dancer called Persian. And Persian hadn't danced in quite a while. And Persian was a good song. <laughs> so, so anyway, this show at Irvine Meadows, right? Here we are now. We're at this huge show, and it was awesome. So right. there was this group of dreads mm-hmm. that, you know, were hanging in the backstage. And they all had, like, dreads, like, down-to-the-floor dreads. I'm talking dreads. Deep, yeah. So there's at least, like, three of them. And they saw this this older guy trying to dance out there on stage, and they decided, without being asked, they went out there and started dropping legs, as they call it. And I'm telling you, man, with the dreads flying and the way these guys were really doing their little ska dance thing. Wow, that was serious. Better than Persian. Definitely, Persian would like do a split and not couldn't get up. <laughs> Persian needed Persian. just no one to call it. So, uh, did you when you were uh, playing with Jackie? Did did he? Did you? I mean, did he like? Did you pick up a lot of reggae keyboard tips from him? I mean, you know, it's funny. Even Winston Wright was the other guy I hang, hung out with a lot. Me too. But when when I saw Winston, Winston be like, "Oh, Ken's here. I have the evening off," and he would just like give me the keyboard. And oh. Wow. And I'd stand up there and play a couple of times with Bubba Wall. Um, there was another guy, Bernie P- Pitters, that played with um, Toots a lot. I sat in. I never actually toured with Toots, but I sat in with him umpteen times. Like, and I was trying to figure out how many times I probably saw him. Must have been close between seventy-five and a hundred times, because I was friends. It was like a family, like. And especially, you know, when we finally cut, Toots made sure that Scatolites were included on that True Love album. He didn't have to do that. There was right. amazing amount of artists could have been on that thing. But Scatolites were on it, and it was, you know, it really helped us. And the only Grammy-winning record I play on. Right, was, right. I'm, and, and definitely, I want to go back to Devin's question, because... Man, that's question of the year for me. That century is having a relationship with Jackie, Jackie Matu. Like, just 
for for a little bit. To tell us what what uh, he went like eighteen months and then he died. And that, right, right. Okay, so there's the story about the show in Toronto. So they started talking about a show bringing Desmond Decker over from England and having Desmond with his band, the Aces, and the Scatolites on the same show in Toronto. So that started, that talk started shortly after I met Jackie. You know, I stayed in touch with him once I met him. So we started making these plans. And, you know, he was having ex exacerbations, I guess, with the disease. You know, he would go in the hospital, he would come out. So we, this went on and on. And the show was planned for September of 1990, I guess. Yeah. So by the time it, and then, you know, it was, it looked like it was going to fall through. And then I was supposed to be included as keyboard player. And then, then they said, no, I don't want to pay for two keyboard players. We just want you, Jackie. So literally Jackie calls me like on the day of day before the show says to me, Ken, you need to come up here. I'm not going to be able to play the show. He said, I'm too sick. I, I can't do it. So I got on a plane and I went. And I got there like the day of the show, pretty early flight. And I walk into the bar and it's Lynn Tate, Dismond Decker, and Tanamo sitting at the bar. It was like 11.30 a.m. And I walk in and here's my introduction to these guys. No, I hadn't met Ta hadn't met Tanamo? Yeah, I guess I hadn't. Tanamo showed up. That's right. Tanamo showed up on the, the Bunny Whaler show at the Radio City Musical, but he didn't end up singing. I'm not going to tell that story why. Hmm. <laughs> anyway, so now I see these guys, and the show actually was really cool. It was with Roy Shirley. Nice. Who was a pretty unique. I had never heard of Roy Shirley. We, you know, the, the band I was in backed Roy Shirley and it ended up being his last show. He passed away about two weeks after that. Wow. Yeah. Which band was this? The Expanders. And you said somebody else that you knew that I mentioned before. Winston? Winston Wright? I did not know Winston Wright, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, know him at, I know him, his music. I, I feel like I know him. Yeah. Um, but so so then Jackie uh, obviously you had a relationship with them even if it was short it was relationship did you ever bond on a level as keyboard players like was there any was it just a relationship a business type thing or did you guys able to you know have fun around the keyboard there was another time when I went up there and it was I was really disappointed because he said he was going to put together a show with the two of them well there was another show that weekend, and it was a huge show, which I oh, I enjoyed the hell out of. It was um, a Delroy Wilson. I think it might have actually been a benefit for Jackie. It was a Delroy Wilson show in 1990, like in the summer, though. Anyway, Jackie was... He put together this show, but there was like no promotion, no flyer, no nothing. And we, you know, we the two of us played together in this bar, and we did like songs like "Darker Shade of Black," 
and Ram Jam and Who Done It. <clears throat> and nobody came. Maybe 10 people came. Yeah. It was in some not very nice place in a not very nice section of Toronto. And that just was kind of weird. And it was just kind of lumped in. Uh, the, the, the weekend turned into this weird thing where I, I had a great time at the Delroy Wilson show. There was so many people. I met so many people that night. Wow. How was Delroy at that moment? Was it was he, was he on fire? Was it still? Oh yeah, man. Yeah, I'm sure. Oh yeah. And, and how about Jackie? In, in his final days, did he still did he still I mean, have he the magic? Was, it was funny because he literally that show that I was talking about the Roy Shirley. That so so I never finished what what actually happened. Yeah. So you said you saw him at the bar at 11 a.m. Okay. So so Jackie was not in the picture at all. You know, Jackie was still in the hospital, and as far as I knew, I was playing the thing. So we went to the rehearsal. I meet all the rest of the people and blah blah blah. So when it came time for the show, now about maybe th not even thirty minutes before we actually went on stage, in comes Jackie, dressed like really well dressed. Mm -hmm. All he's got like two guys with him, almost carrying him, like you know, because he was he was barely walking, I think. And he said to me, he said, Ken, I want you to stand behind me all the whole show. He's like, I literally want you to stand behind me. Wow. And I stood behind him the whole show. And then it, 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 he finally gave me the keyboard for like, you know, how he always plays freedom sound for the last time. Yeah. <laughs> he finally gave me the keyboard. Just He's like, oh, Ken, yeah. Because they weren't going to, I thought I was going to get called up to at least do one song. Yeah, but it was clear that this was like the last song, so I just went up and played for a second. But I didn't care, you know. I was happy to go and help him and just of course. to meet Desmond Decker and this whole show. The Pluggy Satchmo was another one of the the highlights of this show. Pluggy Satchmo was a guy who does like ballads and like Blueberry Hill and right. did some. He was dressed in a white suit with white shoes. And he did some ska dance and some moves, and he was just in complete hot shit. Like, wow, that was that was a blast. The whole That's thing. That's crazy. Shirley, I don't. I think I was paying the least amount of attention because we were probably down in the backstage, like talking to everybody else. Desmond, his band. It was a big show, you know, for me for that particular time. Other than who is oh. Go on. What were you going to say? Oh. Well, I was going to ask, is there a moment, I mean, you've played with so many and met so many Jamaican musicians, you know, from the legendary days. Is there is there someone that stands out in your mind as, like, a person when you met them that you were just, like, starstruck? Like, whoa, I can't believe this is so-and-so well, right most here. Well, most of them, you know, I mean. Yeah. Well, actually, with Toots, one time when I sat in with Toots, it was Teeny Hodges. They had just put out the um, Toots in Memphis. Mm-hmm. And Teeny Hodges was, it was Andy Bathford. I'm not sure if Winnie was on that tour. One might have been Winston Wright. But there was another keyboard player called Bernie Pitters who was from Toronto. We ended up, he ended up going blind and he stopped touring with, with Toots. But um, I can't remember who was playing keys on the, but anyway, Teeny Hodges, like, 
and I just remember just I didn't even want to play myself because you know I wasn't supposed to be there I was already sitting in and he was playing all these little subtleties like the stuff that you hear on some of these classic tunes that, that he right. put on you know like he just the way everything he did I just wanted to listen like but I was right there on stage like so I was hearing the, the monitor or whatever it was like I feel like that every time I play with Devin on stage I'm just like I, in awe like, yeah well it gets it gets annoying <laughs> honestly that was a big one though that was at the paradise in Boston and I was I was a little bit you know I was still getting stage fright at that point especially when we could get a radio city musical and stuff like right right you know when you stop getting stage fright that's kind of like you know when that when the stage fright's gone it's kind of like okay what's what's missing here the four four balconies is like wow right right jeez <laughs> um. <laughs> Man, I almost want to go down the line. So of Winston the... Grennan, all right. So Winston Grennan kind of came in early in the picture. So Toots, too, because this this band in Rhode Island that we opened for everybody. So we start, you know, Toots was one of the first people. He Toots came through the area like once every three months back then. Mm -hmm. The 80s was like Boston, first of all, was like the, a bigger reggae mecca than New York. Boston, the place called The Channel... They were doing all the reggae, African, anything like, you know, good alternative music was going to this club, even James Brown. They, and it was like a 2,000 person venue. So they could, you know, they could do just about anybody. Mm -hmm. So that's where the English beat played when they came over, because that before, well, I guess, yeah, it was the channel then. Because before that, it was a disco. It was, you know, in the 70s, it was a disco. And they kept the, they had those, you know, those big color organ things that were in the disco floors. And yeah. They kept all that from the mm. disco when they put in the reggae place or the, the alternative club. Because they did a lot of rock, too, but they were doing so much. And I ended up befriending all of these people. And Harry Boris, Kevin Aylmer, big up yourself. <laughs> and, um, Man, um, geez. This was like the biggest club that Boston probably ever has. There's a podcast going on, the channel podcast. There's, there's all kind of stuff going on with that. So anyway, um, I forget why I was saying that Boston was the reggae mecca. But we were talking about Starstruck. Yeah. yeah, some yeah. Of just, I mean, everybody. Well, first of all, there was the Whalers true, show. Huh? There was the Whalers show, and the Whalers played for the first time in Boston since Bob died and Roger Steppens was there actually mm -hmm. and I can remember it was just like almost like the second coming the, the rider was ridiculous <laughs> it was like what no green jelly beans Wait, the rider the whole thing but it, it was it was a big deal you know Bob Bob's band finally came through I right. was singing at that point. This was like 1988. But I met Roger, and of course, Roger seeing Lloyd there. I was there with Lloyd, and Roger like literally like kissed his hand and got down on his knees, and, and uh, you know, was so excited to be in the presence of the the reggae star royalty. Yeah. But um, so, getting to know Toots. 
the drummer for Toots at this time was, well, first of all, let me talk about when I first met Toots the first time, because it was funny, because I was literally standing there already talking to him, but I didn't know it was him, because the only artist I met before him was Burning Spear, and he was, you know, the dreads and all, just a little more, like, not so much in the mix for mingling with people. So anyway, I'm sitting with, with Will, Wilson Blue, the singer in my band, and he has Toots in front of me. But I don't know it's Toots. And I said to, the, to Blue, I said, so where's Toots? And he Toots just looks at me and goes, Amidad, mom. <laughs> and immediately, I'm like, but he looked like, like stop the, lying. But he was like the age of his son. And his son was there, too. And his daughters, the three daughters on, on vocals, the son playing bass, Hopeton, and but Toots looked, I don't know, he looked to me like 35 years old at that point. I was just like, my mouth, I'm sure, dropped when he said he was him because I just, you know, I didn't, I expected a, an older person. Mm -hmm. He wasn't even starting to gray yet. I mean, he was just, you know, pretty young, was eight, 86, so. So anyway, now here's Winston Grennan on drums. So just hearing that was amazing. But meeting him, Winston lived in Woodstock, New York area. And Winston was running his own band called Winston Grennan and Sky Rocks, which I was soon invited to play keyboards for. And, you know, we got friendly. But Winston used like Lynn Tate on guitar along sometimes it would be Lynn and Andy Basford and he ended up getting this guy Stewie Stewie from the cables mm -hmm. was like Earl Stewart or something like that we worked with the cables once but uh, uh, forget Stewie came up to live with Winston and sing in the band but he ended up staying so long and Winston had a problem with bass players I'm not sure why but he just couldn't keep a bass player he was changing bass players like all the time. So well, that's that's an important relationship right there. You know, the drum and bass. So that's probably it. You know, there's a preference for sure. You know, oh no, this man ain't working out. Get the next guy in. Um, a question about Lynn Tate at that point because I feel that Lynn Tate does he does his thing and he does it very very well. He, like no one else can do it. Right when I think of Lynn Tate, it's this rock steady lead. Was he? Is it fair to say he was playing lead guitar? Uh, you know, at this oh, time, yeah, doing all that double in the bass and that staccato. <sighs> Jeez, man! The only other person I heard that can do it like that, believe it or not, is Phil Chin, and Phil Chin is still with us. He actually lives in the Valley, and I'm, I've been meaning to get him on some recordings. But that kind of picking, with that kind of setting on the guitar, with that specific reverb, with that everything, you know, Lynn Lynn created that. So. Mm -hmm. So I could imagine, you know, because granted, there's not every song is going to be rock steady at that point with Winston's band, but you could still hear that cutting through, you know. We uh, we used Phil when we put together a, a version of the Sound Dimension, uh, which Brian Atkinson and was actually myself on keyboards and Sparrow, the guy who plays drums for Scatolites, and we put together a Sound Dimension that was. Carl, um, Finn and Cannonball, and Dev, actually Devin from Scatolites on guitar. We had a blast. We played in Japan for um, Gaz Mayall's Club 30th 
anniversary of rock and blues. You didn't play his club, did you? Did you guys play the actual club? No, that's in London. Oh, that's in London. Yeah, my bad, because that's like a... This was in Tokyo and a couple of different cities. It was a great tour 10 years ago, exactly. It was supposed to be the 40th anniversary this year. Poor Gaz. Big up, Gaz. Jason. Great guy. in Japan. Chris Kurosawa. All the people in Japan, man. Right. Boy, we miss everybody this year. Definitely, man. We're in the middle of their 55th anniversary tour. Because our tour, our anniversary is in June, so our anniversaries tend tend to span two years. You know, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. we did a, a whole bunch of stuff in 2019, and we were about to do a whole bunch more. Mm-hmm. And of course, we got shut off. And yeah, mm-hmm. jeez, man, it must be crazy. Like, because all of us here in this little bubble, but you more than even me and Roger, you know, have just been touring for so long. And it's just, it must be just insane to have the rug swept under you like this. This is the first year I've been home in 10 years. I had, there was another year in 2009, I had some issues and I didn't end up going up on tour with the Scatolites. And I stayed home and played with a local band and then did a lot of boating. And that was another, I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed myself this summer. I sailed, I camped. Cool. But no music, man. Yeah. Right. Like, very little. I, I get to play a couple of gigs. I actually played my first gig on bass. Thank you, nice. Kevin Greenlee. Nice. Man. It's gonna be a. It's gonna be a trip. My when... big chance on bass. Nice. <laughs> That's beautiful. It's gonna be a trip when we all get to play music again. You know, we have those like, those first shows where it's like a real show. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, because it's something uh, something you you take for granted. You know what I mean? It's just human nature, right? You try not to, but just when you're doing something so often every night. You kind of just take it for granted, and then when it's gone like this, yeah, it's like hitting the reset button. All the all the the giggles will come back. Yeah, and Roger and I did a show a few months ago that was like at a socially distanced venue that there was no real audience. It was all like live stream, but it was at a venue that was set up for live streaming, and it was like people from Fishbone and different artists within the kind of like American reggae rock scene. And Roger and I were talking about how when certain artists started to play, we were just like. We didn't realize until the moment they started playing how much we missed live music and just like certain artists that we never would have even really like watched. We were just kind of just <laughs> thoroughly enjoying their set just because it was right. like another human being like playing music in a room yeah. with us. It's like food, yeah. ear food, ear food. Yeah. Like, yeah, for sure, man. Ken, um, you know, I realize we have to turn our, our this interview into segments, man. We got to have volume yeah. one, volume Wait, two. Volume three. Well, we usually sum up the show around now just because of the really? length of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. It's an hour and a half is usually what we rock. Um, but you know what? Before we go, been let's... been that long? Oh. <laughs> what, are you, what are you drinking there, Ken, by yeah, the way? You I know drink? you have your sandwich. It looks like hot, hazy IPA, but it's yeah. actually uh, non-filtered apple juice. Mm-hmm. Oh. But I do have a sampler pack of uh, Long Trail Ale, including... Green Blaze IPA. Blaze it. And, uh, some Green Blaze as well. Before, Very nice. Before we go into I the I want fun. to say one th- important thing. Yeah, go for it. Because Scatolites are doing a live streaming. Yes, please. October 30th, live from Sony Hall in Manhattan. Wow. Scalloween with special yeah. guests Alfonso Castro. Who was the original dancer that came 
from Jamaica in 1964 to perform at many places, including the World's Fair. Wow. And Larry McDonald's, which yeah. is well, Larry McDonald is famous for many reasons, but uh, is technically an original Scatolite, actually. Right. He yeah. was on records and live shows back then. Right. Larry, of course, plays with Dave Hillian's Rock Rock uh Rock Yeah. And he plays with uh Amps and the subatomic thing that Right, Lee, Lee Perry. Perry. Yeah. And also with Dub as a weapon sometimes with Lee Scratch Perry. Right. Uh, I got to do a gig and a and a session with Larry McDonald with Dave Hilliard um couple years ago here in venice yeah big up larry yeah he's a, he's a cool guy well we just started advertising it this week it's on our all of our social media stuff and we're expecting to have a bang up show we're gonna have some guest musicians uh i thought monty was gonna stop by but monty wow. be on vacation that'd have been cool uh, man yeah. so glad he's getting out because he's been did you watch any of monty's streams like actually yeah when he first started rocking them oh for my sure. god they're all i archived too so you can go back yeah, yeah. what that guy is absolutely amazing. <laughs> him and wrangling so, are under their own yeah what's the, sure. what's the date again ken of the scatolites thing october 30th for oh, yeah. united states and then there's going to be a rebroadcast for europe on the following day on halloween and we're going to be on that rebroadcast it's going to be even more unique because the Scatolites are going to be on there watching with the Europeans so that we can chat with them. Nice. Very cool. Europe is our strongest market. We probably would have been there three or four times this year as we were last year. And we miss everybody everywhere, man. It's, it's, it's a sad. You know, we're trying to get some new music out. We've got, uh, you know, we've got Vin Gord. Uh, yeah, actually, you guys should try to reschedule that Vin Gord and... Yes, definitely. Uh, he says he yeah. have to do it now, um, but uh, you know we're we're still we're still plugging at it. That's and awesome. We're everybody, we hope next year we can at least do a driving tour or something. We're, you know, we have uh, we're working with Skyline now. Thank you, Adam Davis, for the live streaming. Thank you, Flo, for all you do for me. Yes, yeah, Flo's awesome. Lights. Yeah. And, you know, everybody, you'll, you'll start seeing some stuff coming from the Scatolites. We're going to get, we've got a bunch of stuff in the can, but, you know, especially some of the folks in our generation don't do so well with this remote stuff. And it's just, we got, we're the scattered lights. We're scattered I, here and scattered there. Scattered lights. I love it. You should give yourself more credit. Every, every, every uh, person from your generation, as you put it, that we've had on the show has done, has done great with the, with the whole situation. Yeah everyone and we've had we've had a lot of cool uh, ogs on here and it's seamless you so, know if yeah so yeah, I've, I've seen most of the og stuff it's been great nice thank nice you oh this is great thank you so before we let you go though uh as raj mentioned in our sound check we like to do a little segment that we call rapid fire lightning round questions yes sir and so we're just gonna ask you some some quick questions don't think too much just just fire off the answer yeah and um, I got to start because, you know, we go for it. Roger and I saw you eating that uh, delicious sandwich at Soundcheck. And so um, I got to ask you, uh, mayonnaise or mustard? 
Well, that was from that was a Wendy's grilled chicken sandwich, and they put some <laughs> nice, some kind of like weird honey mustard thing. I think. Okay, mustard. Okay, so mustard it is. Mustard, but right. but yeah, like okay, in general, in general, in life, in life. Yeah, like this mustard? is like I'm yeah. a mustard guy. I don't mustard love guy. I check you as a mustard guy. All right. Okay. Wow, that's that's crazy. Yeah. French Dijon and all that. Yeah. Yeah. De- Devin's a male guy, right, Devin? I, I do. I do like male. Yeah, and and I'm sure Devin doesn't mind, I make, but I make Dijonese too. You start Ooh, combining nice, nice, it, huh? Yeah, yeah. I like hot sauce. I'll take hot sauce over all that three. That choice. Um, anything with wasabi. There you go. Ooh, that's nice. Anything wasabi on anything, I'll eat it. I'm opposite. You get wasabi in the same room with me, and I'm crying, baby. I'm crying. <laughs> so while we're on food, let's just go for it. Pineapple on pizza? Yes or no? Are you a fan? Okay. All right, Devin. Next one. Um, well, this is not so much a yes or no question, but I just want to know, and just like quick, quick answer, like what was the first record you ever got? Do you remember like this being, this is my first record and I love this record. Tommy James and the Shondells, Crimson and Clover's first 45 I bought, I was probably 10. Nice. All right. That's crazy. All that right. crazy reverb on the guitar. Oh, wow. Oh yeah, that's great. Like, is it going through a Leslie or something? There's some effect going on there. Oh, God knows. All right, some kind of weird trip. Um, so I'm sure you could elaborate, but we're just looking for something quick. I'll put you on the spot here. Favorite Scottalite song? Well, that that that's deep, but I know pretty it's a much rough one. There's this one that's that's very unique. Called Meat to Come. Okay. Can you, can you say that again? Meat to Come. Meat to Come. Okay. It's on the Big Guns album. It's not a fast tune. It sounds like camels riding across the desert. It's an incredible trombone solo. Dwight Pickney plays guitar on that album. Oh, my Lord. Wow. It, it, I can probably sing. Everything like I've listened to that album so many times. I can right. sing every solo, note for note, airplay it, whatever you want. Yeah, I can do it all. Crazy. <laughs> do you get, did 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 Lights ever play that live with you in the band? Never ever. No. Did you did you try to get him to? I used to bug people about it. That Lloyd was always saying, "Oh, we need two guitars. We need two. It's like we don't need two guitars. You get the keyboard player to play the guitar parts." <laughs> just kidding. Um, you know, hold on. I want to interrupt this this uh, segment because of, uh, so John Converse, who's been watching the show the whole time, does have a question for you, Ken, and I want to make sure we answer this. So put it up here. He says, Ken, what keyboards were you using in the late 80s? Oh, nice question. Oh, God. I had some rolling thing. Maybe the... M1? RD. Oh, I hated those. Oh. God. That's an eighties one, so everyone everyone used, right? That was an M that was a Korg. I hated the piano. Korg M one, yeah. Big time. No, I liked the digital pianos with digital weighted action, almost anything that was digital weighted action feels and sounds like a real acoustic piano. In Scott in the Scatolites, and that's all I played at the beginning. And I started to throw in more and more organ. And then that got to be pretty much the standard Scatolites keyboard setup. Kerry Brown came in with the Krumar, with the draw bars. He was, you know, and then Bill Smith came in using organ sounds. I'm not sure exactly what he was using, a Kurzweil. And then, you know, I, I always used whatever digital 
weighted action stuff like because I like to keep the muscles up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I don't have a real piano even at home. I I really want to get one, but I'm how about sure. now? How about now? Are you just the uh, uh you know a Nord guy, or or do you prefer a certain rig nowadays? I mean, I I have a Nord. I have like seven keyboards, and I think none of them absolutely work correctly. They need <laughs> all me to go to the doctor. I even have my old JX3P, which was you know. Pretty much had the same jump sound. I thought of it when Eddie Van Van Halen died the other day. It's like I still have that keyboard, but and it's got it's got a really cool thing where it can be analogized. Like it's a digital keyboard, polyphonic, but it's got a magnetically attached thing that turns all these parameters inside that normally you have to change digitally. Now it brings them back to the analog knob. Wow, but, man. Yeah, it's pretty... If I can get it up and running... It, Sounds I'm heavy. Gonna, yeah, I'm going to use it in some recordings. If I, Literally heavy, like you know, hard, I, I hard to carry. I have my local project, Soul Shot. That's much more roots reggae involved, and I do some record... I've, I've played on every one of the albums they put out except for the last one. Mm. And, you know, I, I don't do much else except Scatolites and Soul Shot. I don't really have time anymore, but... Right, right. Are we, are we busting back into the? That's hold on. I want. It's crazy. You mentioned like Eddie Van Halen, and that's that reminded me. That's just what a trip, right? Like that Eddie Van Halen, Johnny Nash, and Bunny Striker Lee all passed on this on the same day. You know, oh, that was weird. That was just a weird day. Like it kept coming across the timeline. There and was uh, like that since the pan- even before the pandemic, we started losing a lot of artists, even. You know, because it's the age thing, it's the generation. You know, it's amazing how many of the Jamaican artists are, you know, like you mentioned Ernie Rangman. I visited him last in winter of 2019, I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, you know, he's he's 87, but I'm sure if somebody had the right amount of incentive, he'd come out and play. I, I heard that he actually huh? he wow. he actually came forward and said, "Okay, this is my last show." I forget when it was, but yeah, it was but, of, that, but he has had a bunch of those, right? Like, I'm yeah, sure, I can get him out if I, <laughs> if I wanted to get him out to Northridge. We'll see if we can get a show. Well, going you know what happened? We were going to use him on a track, and the guy who just also passed away, the engineer that was operating in his area, Barry O'Hare. Oh yeah, yeah, he Barry was, O'Hare did some like Burning Spear dubs, right? Wasn't he's he done? Dubbed? He's a, you know, I think some of those like some of those like later Burning Spear dub albums were Barry O'Hare. I didn't know he passed. His yeah, his he just passed like right around right after Tuckley, oh, wow. same week, same week as Tuckley. Wow. And he actually did some stuff off for Toots, I believe, on the True Love album. Some of the tracks you know, his done it either at his studio or by him or something like that. I believe he was involved. But I don't know, man. I hear the older someone said the older you get the more you know people around you start leaving us I guess I don't know it just does seem like now more than ever it's like wow especially this year you know and with Jamaican art I tell this to uh you know I talked to Devin about this um just a lot of people is that we're so fortunate as fans of Jamaican music you know you look at the 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 stages of ska rock steady and reggae and right now we still have some of the foundation artists that were there in the sky days you know like i can't imagine in like 40 50 years from now being a fan of ska music and just 
not ever fathoming that there's a Derek Morgan show going on. You know, being like, wow. Stranger Cole show going on. You were able to see Stranger Cole perform, you know, live. Um, We toured with Stranger. So fortunate with that. Last year, too. That was another amazing thing we did. Oh, man. Stranger. So much fun together. We got to know Stranger pretty well at one point in the 2000 late 2000s and he's just he's a great guy man stranger just love i love him so much yeah he's such cool a to be guy. around his energy is incredible yeah it really is you're big right up stranger <laughs> big up stranger big up stranger man all right ken thank you so much for joining us um like roger said we're definitely going to have you back because uh this is like this feels like a four or five or six part interview so this right. is part one yeah we didn't um, really get past 1990 yet. exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um everyone make sure you go check out um on october 30th the the live scatolites uh live stream they're going to be doing scalloween and um please support you know this is one of the great institutions of jamaican music still doing it and ken thank you so much man anything you want to leave the people with here's one for you you recognize that symbol oh wow oh yeah 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 that's the tibetan freedom concert is that rolling i i do not own the rights to this photo (laughs) (laughs) i acquired all of lord nib's photos Oh wow! Okay, Jeez, well that's a whole dude. show we got to have you. That's on. a whole other show. My stills alone. Why, why you never tell us? I have like five thousand stills, dude. All right, well Jeez. we'll do a show. Just that's amazing. That's that amazing. is amazing, okay. Ken. It's Great. it's yeah. We got to get together and do some something. We're gonna we're gonna people out need to see this. They're gonna freak. <laughs> All right, Ken. Thank you so much. Uh, really really nice talking to you, and uh, we'll have you on soon. Um, yeah, and man, I try to catch your little guitar thing on Tuesdays, too. Is it nice. Tuesday? Yeah, Tuesdays. I, I love the Justin Hines. You know, I, I bet just that's how I got friendly with Vin. When oh, yeah? When Hines started touring in the in the 90s, it was Vin and Deadly Headley. Ooh. And so Crazy. I got with them when Agitators opened for their first show. And then Justin was huge, man. He was sure. He was, was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then... He, Oh man! Did you play with Justin? I never got to play with him though. He's one of my favorites. His band was great. Most of the song when they first started touring, most of the songs sound just like the record. Then, jeez, Mighty Redeemer live would be insane. Nothing that you take Yes. Yes. Oh man. All right, Ken. We're going to do this again probably several times. But uh, take care until we see you again. Hopefully, we'll get to see you in person before too long. And we'll all meet up on the road somewhere. Yes, Ken. Thank you. How about some love? How about some Long Beach All-Stars Cadillac shows? Jeez. You you know the minute that it can happen, it'll happen. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. That's such a good idea, too. We'll make that that wrong, man. That's such a good idea. All right, that's going to happen. Ken, you've planted the seed, and <laughs> yes, that seed man. will bear fruit. Right on, Ken. Right. Well, once again, thank you, brother. And we'll, we'll, right, we'll man, be in man. touch. All thank right. You, brother. Yeah, man. Yay. Ken Stewart. Like, there's, I'm telling you, man, we just campfire sessions with Ken Stewart because he's got so many cool stories for sure. Yep. You know? Um, let's see. What do we got cracking next with all the little graphics and slides and all the prettiness? We got this coming. There up. it is. All right. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, we are switch swapping it, switching it up. Um, 
we're going to be starting to do uh, from now until the end of this year, at least we're going to do a biweekly thing. So it will be every other Saturday we yes. get together and it's going to start with taking a break next Saturday. So the following Saturday, October 24th, this is gonna we're going to, we're going to have Miguel Happel in and, and he, for, for some that may not be super familiar, I mean, he just goes by Miguel and he's, he's, wow. I mean, he's, he owns Skunk Records. He did own Skunk with Brad. He's a producer on all the, the Sublime stuff. He was definitely um, the fourth or fifth member, if you will. I mean, I'm, you know, I know Sublime. Sublime was a, there was three people on stage, right? But it was a periphery of people, yeah, right? You know, Ross definitely. MG, even Opie, um, right. you know, and exactly. Miguel. Yeah. And Miguel, because he did a lot of behind the scenes stuff and was definitely there for the magic you know you can definitely you have to give miguel credit and so he is going to come on the show and this is insane ladies and gentlemen he's going to break down the 40 ounces to freedom album we're going to talk about what the process is what, what it was what the influences were um stories about you know where brad and, and how where he drew his influences from some so of the gonna production be, stuff right so we're going to be playing songs you know we're going to have like some of the songs that miguel says were the influences for certain songs from 40 ounces of freedom we're gonna be playing those and talking about the ways that they influenced brad and miguel and the whole sublime crew right and in th- those albums especially 40 ounces even the the production side uh you know it wasn't just straight ahead it wasn't an orthodox kind of thing you know there samples sample heavy stuff mm-hmm. so we're gonna have phone miguel he's gonna chit chat with us you cannot miss that um myself i got some new news cracking what is with, it with my side ban all my bands are side bands. There's really not a main band right now. Huh? It's like oh stop. You know, <laughs> no, I'm joking. My main band is the Night Owls. Um, <laughs> the Night Owls. I hope you're not watching. I've, 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 uh, I've uh, Jesse been really, really stoked on on how this band had the approach of this band. It's like an all star band. We all have uh, our own studios, and we we record music and fly it around, and it's just a great outcome. We do cover songs, and we get really uh, special guests to sing. And so this new 45 is Groovin'. That's the song you guys are thinking about. If you're like, oh, is it that Groovin' song? It's that one. Groovin', you know, (laughs) it's that one. So go to F-Spot Records. You can pre-order this 45. There's a vocal on one side, and I'm really stoked because it's my first uh, opportunity with the Night Owls to do an organ version so there's nice. an organ version of that song beautiful Devin. um i was i tuned into your session i think the last one you i did. felt that energy when you did good, good, like, good. It, shifted, it was for a millisecond but, yeah um <laughs> yeah i'm doing the songbook sessions um every tuesday uh come check it out this tuesday i think i'm gonna be playing some uh some you know i always take requests and stuff and mix it up but i think i'm gonna do some like bunny striker lee wow uh tunes you know like he recorded so many i mean the list is just endless you know but like the stuff that my favorite stuff of bunny striker lee and so much is that i do have and so far as i do have a favorite is like you know johnny clark and cornell yeah. campbell and that era barry brown um so you know i was thinking of like playing some of my favorite bunny striker lee productions you mm. know yeah and the, the production side is not going to shine through so much with one guy playing guitar and singing these songs but just i mean such great tunes you know so i think i'm going to do some of that on tuesday but everyone come check that out uh tuesdays at 5 p.m pacific um and other than that man I, you know i've been working on this new acoustic record and roger's been recording it for me and we just basically wrapped it up last week uh got all the mixes done 
Yeah. Uh, I've sent it to a couple friends, and and it's it's just really been great to to have this like project that's just been an idea that only you know Roger and myself and Vanessa and my brother Patrick have have you know heard now finally like have something that's that's done, and so I'm pretty stoked on it, and you know I just kind of feel good about that. So yeah. uh, that's something to look out for. You know, I don't know when it's going to be released or anything like that, but the fact that it now is a thing that exists, I'm very happy with. Yes. Yeah. So it's thank gonna, you, Roger, for your help. Oh, with that I mean, record. I mean, it's a. Uh, it's easy as an engineer and, and you know producer, just someone who's who's working with different musics. I think we had this conversation before, but you know you you learn the hard way if you work with music outside of a genre you like. But then even when you work with music in a genre you like, there's still this this sense of work sometimes. So that's why I like to work with artists where I, I thoroughly enjoy their art. And Devin is probably the definition of that. I mean, his songwriting is great. And I know it sounds like I'm I'm, I'm joking. And part of me is no, no. These songs are great. Anybody that's the fan of uh, fan of Expander's music and um, you know, you know, the songwriting is 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 really good. And actually, the direction of this album and and how Devin, what instruments Devin chose to use, and 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 some of the approaches are really out of the box. So I think people are going to enjoy that. Well, we'll go. Well, I th- maybe down the road we'll we'll put a little magnifying glass on the album when yeah when we uh, when it comes out. But you know, I have to say the best thing about working at Roger's studio. And granted, you know, Roger's a great producer, great musician, really easy to work with, funny dude. But none of that stuff really, when I think of working with Roger, I don't really think of any of that stuff. I th- he's got this bottle of Jolly Ranchers oh, man, and, yes. um, Love and it. Charms yeah. blow Suckers pops. and blow pops. And, yeah. you know, I'm not like a big candy dude, but when I go to Roger's house, I have seven or eight Apple Jolly Ranchers yeah. and a blow pop or two. And they've been in there. These candies, you know, guys, if you know these candies, you know that they can exist for like 80 years. So yes. they're just in, in your there. stomach, too. I mean, there's just, this whole session exists in my stomach still. All right. Well, Raj, um, love it. This has been, that was a great, great episode. Thank you to, let's see, is this the one we're supposed to be on? Yeah. Thank oh, you to our special guest, Ken Stewart. Um, yes. Big up Ken, big up Flows, big up Scatolites. And big up yourself, everybody who's watching. And listening. I mean, listening. We, we appreciate oh, yes. it. For everyone listening out there on the podcast, um, thank you. Because we're getting a lot of positive feedback. And, and it does sound cliche, but that feedback really does make a difference. Because we know we're doing something right. I mean, we're doing this. We're, we're having fun doing it. Talking about, I mean, come on. You're talking about Jamaican music. Talking to people that you look up to. But when we get the response from you guys and, and all the links and the tagging and mm-hmm. just that, that's really, really uh, special. So thank you for that, everyone yes, out there. Really. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, if you haven't gone and subscribed to the Reggae Pod Clash podcast, mm-hmm. please do because you can get this as a podcast. We archive every episode, the audio. Um, and if you do that, please, uh, please rate and review. It helps us out a lot. Yeah. And we will see you all October 24th when we have Miguel from Skunk Records on to break down the creation of 40 Ounces to Freedom. Until then, everyone be good. And Roger, I'll see you later, man. Devin, we'll see you later, everyone. Peace. Peace.